This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Well, welcome to the Hot Forward Podcast. I'm Nick, and fairly recently, I went to Clown. Where the hell is Clown? Exactly. Clown is a sleepy ex-mining village in the middle of nowhere. And you've probably got the measure of Clown. If you can think whippets, brass bands, and people that used to work that bit, lad. Not that I'm stereotyping. That's Clown. It's just this really unlikely location for a couple of entrepreneurs called Adam and Dan to set up Highest Craft, which is this craft beer bar that serves all kinds of amazing beers. They've got sour beers on tap. They've got all kinds of beers that are being produced both nationally and internationally. And this place is absolutely heaving. It's in this old school building and it's absolutely gorgeous. And they just cram this place out full of people in, in clown. Exactly, clown. They've, uh, they've crowdfunded a brewery. So they've got a five-barrel brewing plant in one of the side rooms. Very shiny piece of kit. And they've done collaborations with all kinds of breweries. They've done one with Northern Monk. They've done it with Lost Industry Brewing, who are based in Sheffield. Uh, Neon Raptor. They've done a collaboration with BrewDog, even. And they've just been out to Budapest. I can't remember the name of the brewery, but they've done a blood orange IPA all the way in Budapest that they're bringing back over here, which is going to be fantastic. I mean, these guys have got balls of steel when they approach people who they're going to collaborate with and put events on for. They did one with Stone Brewing and these guys have just got big plans for the future. And we're going to dive straight into this episode and listen to what Adam and Dan have got to say about their experience of setting up Heistcraft. Right, well, t- today on the podcast, I'm joined by Dan and Adam from Heistcraft. Hello, Hello guys. You alright? Yeah, good. Good. Glad. So, it's, it's been about a year, right, since you Just opened? under about uh, nine months now, kicking on. So, we, we got the keys about a year ago. Right. So, we have been in the property for just over a year. Okay. The business has been up and running about nine months. So, ju- just describe to our listeners what, what, what venue are we in. I mean, it's a stunning building. Yeah, it's a, a 19th century schoolhouse. So it's pretty much revamped into the bar that we've got today. Um, attached to where that brewery is, that's um, actually in the oldest building in Clown, which used to be the Picture House. Oh, nice. So it's got a bit of history, a um, bit of character, which is what we're looking for when we open the place. So, I mean, you don't have a blackboard up anymore to make people do lines if they're coming asking for, do you do Carlin? <laughs> Ten lines. We still get it every now and then, but it's, uh, it's died down a bit now. See, I mean, this, this is the sort of first question I had. So you. you why clown? So cl- clown's like a sleepy ex-mining village, right? Yeah. So, I mean, when I was thinking about it, it was, it was a little bit like, um, of all the joints in all the world, we set up a craft beer bar in this one. Like, like why did you decide to set up a, 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 this kind of a place in a place like clown? Um, it was more the fact we looked at the, the area and the development that was going on around here. So uh, clowns had a fair few new houses built and there's plans for even more. Um, not just that, it's the, it's the case of you could get something in the city centre and the rates are high, rent's high. This kept the costs down, we could get something a bit bigger for what we wanted. But at the same time, it, we're far enough away from a city that people now have the choice not to have to spend £50 on a return taxi yeah. um, and just giving some, something different to the community, something they haven't seen before. So, I mean, how many people live in Clown? Uh, about ten to 12,000. Right, okay. So it's not, it's not not a lot. Yeah, it's not it's not huge. <laughs> we we tend to get a lot of people uh, now that we're a bit more recognised coming from different areas. Right. So this, we've got the surrounding areas: Worksop, Bolsover, um, Sheffield suburbs like Killamarsh, Rennishaw, uh, Eckington, Bayton, um, through to Chesterfield. We've even had someone coming a bus from Matlock, which is a bit of a trek, if I'm honest. Yeah, but that's quite a long way. It's a bit of it's a decent commitment that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We do get people from, from all over. And considering the transport links aren't particularly great, it's it's encouraging to see people actually making their way here. That's that's really good because I know I've I've seen some of the events you put on and thought 
Um, oh, I really want to go to that, but it'd take about three buses you know, and a hike for the Sherpa to kind of get <laughs> here. So um, I think you're doing really well. Um, I mean, apart from the sort of rent, as you sort of mentioned, what, what other sort of considerations did you have to make when you decided on to set up in this location? And I mean, are you from here as well? Do you live around here or...? Uh, I live around here now, yeah, originally right. from <laughs> Sheffield, um, which we, we were looking for a, an office originally, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. It was um, an office space we were looking for oh, rather right. than a, a bar. Oh, why, is, why is that? Uh, it was when we were doing the export side of things, that's right. what we were we were looking for, to get out of our, our job somewhere to actually concentrate on it. Okay. Uh, but Adam sort of stumbled across this place. Well, originally I went across the road to um, a cafe, which was a bit dark and dingy, a bit miserable, but I thought we could add his character to that. Um, guy I went to see wasn't interested, um, walked out, saw this place, asked him who owned it, did a bit of digging, a bit of Facebook stalking, and managed to get hold of the owner, uh, asked him if they wanted to sell it, and two weeks later we had the keys. So yeah, do you actually, have you actually bought this place then? Uh, we're in the process of purchasing it at the minute. Right, okay. Um, wow. But we, we made the... Um, I'd say the mistake, but also the bright business decision of building a brewer. Yeah. Which has taken a lot of the funds which we were supposed to buy the place with. Yeah. I mean, what, what are your customers like around here? We've got really strange demographic. Not strange as in the people are strange. I don't want anybody to misinterpret that because <laughs> I've had that before. Although we do have some of those as well. You know you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we've got people from all all walks of life. We tend to find that we don't get the too many of the hardcore craft beer enthusiasts. Um, that sort of came a little bit later. So these are people that have been either moved to the village recently or lived, lived in the village for 40 years who have then decided, I'm not going out and clown anymore, there's nothing else to do. Mm. Um, there, there's nothing round here apart from the community centre that sells anything other than commercial lagers. Yeah. Stronger, pretty much. So we do get a mix of, of, of all of all types of all types of customers in here, ranging from the age of eighteen up to probably a hundred year old. Honestly, yeah. It's, it's um, if you come in here on a typical Friday or Saturday night, you'll see a, a massive mixture of people. So how do, how how are you sort of educating the? So say you get some like you know um, just all I drink is Foster's mate. That, those kind of people coming in. How 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 are you sort of educating them and sort of trying to move them into sort of craft beer? Because I mean. You want you, you serve up a lot of like you know Stone, Brewdog, Thornbridge, and then a lot of other sort of um, things like Lost Industry and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean we had a when we first started out, we we put on a board that we quite liked, and there were a lot of I'd say gateway beers on there, stuff like Gamma Ray, which yeah. for, for your lager drinker, you're moving on to American Pale, which is fairly easy drinking, and we do keep that sort of stuff on because we get a lot of new customers through every week. It's amazing that people in the village walking here on a Friday night, mm. even nine, ten months down the line, and still don't know that we're here. Yeah. Um, but it's a case of just talking to people, because it's just me and Adam who work behind the bar, and we know about the beer. Yeah. It's, it's easy to talk people through it and try and push people onto something other than, other than lager, even though we do keep a lager on tap for those who are yeah. a bit too stubborn. <laughs> we just categorically refuse. Yeah, we, we do get that. Yeah. Even if I'm offering out a sample, uh, we do every now and then get somebody just saying, nope, not trying it. <laughs> so, I mean, you've done some huge events with sort of tap, tap takeovers from Neon Raptor, um, Brewdog, you even did an Emmanuel's one, which is yeah. my, my brewery. That's um, probably the biggest today. Oh really? And I yeah. couldn't make it because <laughs> my door broke her arm. That was, that was, that was really, really good thing. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, and, and obviously you've got a, a big one coming up with um, with Stone. I mean, how, how have you managed to get in with these people? Um, you know, and what sort of support do they offer you? Like, just take us through the process. Like, the Stone one's an interesting one, like, because I know a little bit of the background of that from when you told me last time. But just for our listeners, just sort of talk us through that process and how you're approaching these people. And... It's, it's probably more of a case of being cheeky, if I'm honest. Um, literally going in and asking being quite upfront, we are a small business, um, we're looking to expand, um, we'd like to do a, a collaboration beer or we'd like to do a tap takeover, um, we're trying to educate people on your beers um, and just we, we've always worked on the um, ethos of if you don't ask you don't get, so it, it's kind of easy for us to go and approach someone, if they say no they say no, um, mm. worst thing we can do is go back in a 
month, two, three, four months time, maybe a year's time, and ask them again um, when we've probably done a few more. Um, it was quite bold to try and get Brewdog so early on, mm. which was about two or three months yeah. into his operation. But you managed though, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And that was a pretty big event from what I gathered. Yeah, huge. <laughs> um, and Stone's probably going to be the same. Um, but we, we work close with um, the UK reps. <coughs> um, we, we did with um, a guy called Josh that worked for Brewdog. Um, we're working with Will France uh, from Stone at the minute. And we just asked them what they can give us for the right. event. Um, can you give us beers? Which, understandably, we have to buy the majority of those. Yeah. Not too bothered about that. Um, people look to come for something different. So if you do merchandise, point of sale stuff, um, would you like to see a band? Would you like to see food? And we, we tend to ask them what they want to see. So the, the stone event we've got, that Will wanted a brass band. Um, a brass band? Yeah. So we, we priced up brass bands across the UK, um, coming in at extortionate amounts. So we we got to a point where we were thinking we, we're going to have to change change direction on this. Um, when someone on Facebook uh, put us in contact with a, a local brass band um, that do sort of covers right. of um, popular songs, nice. um, and there's 19 of them in the band. Wow. So I don't quite know where they're going to go. Yeah, that was uh, that was your booking, so I'll leave yeah, that there. <laughs> <laughs> if it succeeds, you can both take the credit. Until then, it's all my fault. Um, we've got a. Um, we, we tend to get different food vendors in as well because we do food, um, yeah. but people don't want the same thing week in week out. Yeah. So every time we do an event, we get different food vendors. Mm. Um, we've had the gravy train, um, who are quite popular. Um, we've had who else have we had? Uh, oh, the Tyler Cafe from Sheffield, right, Bottom yeah, Island. Yeah. Uh, those guys came along. We've had all sorts, haven't we? Yeah, just just varies. Every event we try and have something different. Now, am I, am I right in thinking you guys went out to? Is it Germany where they have their um, plant? Stone? In Berlin. Berlin. Yeah. yeah. So, am I right in thinking they they flew you out there, or was that the plan? To uh, again, that was probably me being cheeky, um, knowing that Stone hadn't done a collaboration, and we were looking to collaborate with the majority of people that we have takeovers yeah. with. Um, I asked them, and they said, unfortunately. They'd only done one collaboration, and that's with Will Wheaton, who's more famous for Star Trek and Big Bang Theory, opposed to Bruin. <laughs> so uh, they, they said, unfortunately, we can't do a collaboration, but we can fly out to Berlin to go and see the brewery. So we didn't really argue with it and right. went along with it. So what was that like? Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. So good. Really we're, good. Going, we're going back on Monday. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, it's uh, it's good to see. It's good to see the sort of powerhouses in the craft beer industry mm. see how they're doing things how successful you can be obviously it's not always this, the same story for everybody yeah. but but to see the the sorts of waves that they're making across europe and into the uk being a us based company is it's really good mm. bringing it back more sort of local then um i mean so obviously people like stone or magic rock or brewdog or thornbridge you know they have they have the sheer um manpower to um you know provide support and the resources to you know um give you a point of sale and all the rest of it but for for smaller micros um and particular sort of like local one startups what, what what do you think they can do to support businesses like heist craft more to sell more of the products that are sort of selling you because i could imagine it's you know if you get a keg in or some cans in of, of something and they just sit there on your shelf forever um, that's got to be annoying for you. Mm. Um, so, what what can these sort of smaller businesses do to support their sort of micro pubs and well, places they're selling to? I probably get twenty phone calls on a Monday from from uh, small breweries, yeah. which is fine. It is my day off, by the way, so uh, I get Tuesday <laughs> if you are going to call. But um, <laughs> Julie knows it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the main thing is that the the smaller ones, maybe the ones that we haven't heard of quite so much, or we haven't had a lot of exposure with, mm. is. If, if you've got the opportunity to come and see us and talk us through your beers it makes it so much easier for us to to sell the beers if, if we know a little bit about yeah. it um we've had we've had a few different ones in um recently that if we'd seen it on a normal beer list in the sort of the sort of demographic that comes in here aren't the people that would just try new things all the time yeah. they might go to a safe bet but if we know a bit about a beer we can 
we can upsell that and even subconsciously it works i mean we we've had a couple of breweries maybe send in one or two samples and maybe made a bit of informal conversation with us and you find yourself shifting them mm. it's it's one of those things just let us know about your product don't just send through a price list or yeah. anything like that it's i mean it seems like common sense and i know yeah. there's limited time for some of these businesses but it really helps us sell and it helps us reorder and keep keep going on so i mean when, when you say let us know about your product what kind of information would you be looking for from from these small breweries i mean because i know a lot of the times on these uh, price lists i mean I've, se I've seen lots of them you know it's kind of like a crisp refreshing pale ale you know and it's kind of like they all sort of say the same thing i mean do, do you need more in-depth knowledge from that what is it do you need history behind why the beers are called what they're called what, what is it you're looking I'd for i'd say from my point of view it i'd advise people to put on where you can actually go and try these beers right. um so we can go along and buy it for ourselves so that's what we tend to do with a lot of the stuff we've got on the shelves already um, we'll go out, we'll try something if we like it, we'll get it in stock either direct or through a wholesaler where, when and where possible. Um, so it's good for other people to know where they can actually try your beers because it's alright reading it on paper but ultimately you, you need to know what it actually tastes like. Yeah. Um, we, we go a lot off what we think ourselves after trying it. We don't tend to go with what other people say that it tastes like because everybody's taste buds are different yeah completely different so me and dan yeah. we, we have this argument quite regularly behind the bar when we're trying <laughs> things that i'll i'll get something out of a beer that dan won't dan will get something out of a beer that i won't that's interesting so it, it's it's advisable for him to like, at least let people know where they can go and try it yeah we like to have a sit down and have a conversation about the beer and if, if we can sit there and we can find something even if only one of us finds it or one of us really enjoys it that, that that's enough and it might not even be in that description that's been sent out to us yeah absolutely. so so for, for anyone out there who's considering opening their own independent beer house or micropub or whatever um you know the kind of place like this what what advice would you give them now probably uh, the same advice that we got up front which was any time scales that you've got in mind double them any um, budget, yeah. Any budget you've got in mind, double it. Yeah. Um, take your time, sit down, and think about it. Because um, although we thought we thought it through as much as physically possible, we we ran over a month when doing the place up. Um, we ran over budget, as you do. Yeah. Um, there will be something that comes up that will be a big job or something to do with the licensing that will put you back. Uh, just take the licensing one is a is a big one. We had mm. multiple issues with, um, and all we were doing was just amending the uh, the license. The, the place was already licensed. We just needed the off license adding. Right. Um, so, make sure that you really do your due diligence before applying because ours nearly got scrapped. Right. Uh, about a week before we were meant to open. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> and, that, and, it, and, it, and and if if that does happen, make sure you kick up a fuss with the council and speak to the relevant people and eventually yeah. they, they saw a sense that <clears throat> something so menial as to put one wrong word which we were actually advised anyway by somebody in the council one wrong word just make sure you've, you've covered it all and if you do have any communications with people in the council get it on get it in writing because yes, otherwise it's it. a pain yeah yeah but yeah there's there's a lot of things that, that you sort of take from it um be prepared to put the hours in because you will be working a lot of hours. Uh, there's me and Adam are working and we still work six days a week each, a year in. Um, we've reinvested a lot of money back into the business, but it's it's needed. Don't just take on a load of staff that don't, don't know what they're talking about because at the end of the day, you're the one who's trying to sell things to people. Yeah. You're representing the business and you need to have an understanding of your customers before you can outsource that work to somebody else. Hmm. I guess that's the thing with somewhere like this and micro pubs, um, because obviously you know there's this talk that oh, pubs are closing at however many whatever the rate is per week, um, but you you start to find that these little places like this are sort of springing up, and they're driven very much by quality, and so I mean because I've been out to loads of pubs and venues where you've got somebody behind the bar um, who doesn't know anything. And there was one place I went to, you know, a quite a renowned place in Sheffield, and they had their own beer that had been brewed for them on cask. 
before I went, I said, oh, can I just try a bit of that out of curiosity? And she pulled a bit off uh, for me. And I tasted it. I said, um, that's the end of the barrel, right? It doesn't taste right. She's like, oh, oh, I don't know. I'm like, well, I says, is, is there somebody here that does know? She's like, oh, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to go and ask whatever his Jeff or whatever his name was. Um, and then he came over and I said, taste that. Does that taste off to you? He's like, oh, I don't know, mate. I was like, mate, that's got your branding on it. Who brews this for you? And he told me the brewery. I'm like, that shouldn't taste like that. Mm. You need to go check your barrel because that's really rep- doing damage to your brand. Yeah. Um, me, me and you have done a similar thing in Chesterfield, haven't I? Mm. Um, when we went to watch the rugby quite mm. early in the morning, um, uh, uh, I think it was a chain pub, wasn't it? Yeah, I can't the, remember. The best yeah, thing they had on draft was um, Punk IPA. Right. So, um, ordered two Punk IPAs. Dan got his pub first, tried it and said, mate, you don't want one of them, that's it's not right. So we told the guy behind the bar, and the guy was pretty much adamant that it was it was perfect, yeah, tasted it, it's, it's all right, that, mate. Like, we, yeah. we own a bar. <laughs> yeah. We taste this <laughs> we on a regular basis, we know what it tastes like. And he's like, all right, I'll just ask my manager. And uh, his manager gave him the nod, as if to say, yeah, take that off. It's not right. Wow. Um, and for, for me, for such a big brand that's, like, almost established this market mm. in a way especially in the UK um, to, to want to educate people to sell the best products they, they're selling it to places that aren't looking after it yeah or selling it within the right time scale that they should be selling it and that can really damage a brewery's reputation um, I mean I mean keg beer is one thing um, but a cask as well you know you've got to treat cask even better mm-hmm. um, just by virtue of what it is and um, I mean I've seen on the taps um, beers that I've brewed where well, there was one in particular and uh, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a pub in, a, a, um, in the town that I come from which is like a really rough pub and um, someone had checked it in there on the Monday of this particular week it was like oh absolutely fantastic pint gorgeous I'll definitely have more of this checked it in about 10 days later saying um, oh this, this beer's a sour this week, there's no <laughs> consistency, and I'm thinking, no, he's got the same cask on, you know, and, and that's, that's my beer that is in, your, in that pub, being misrepresented. Yeah, it's one um, of the reasons we don't do cask. Yeah, we, we know that we can't, throughout the week, we, we are fairly quiet being in the area at weekends, we're packed, hmm. we don't have cask lines for the fact that we can't keep it yes. at the optimum quality that, that the brewer would want it, and we don't want to do a disservice to anybody. And we also don't want to damage our reputation as yeah. well. So it's it, it works it works both ways. Mm. So um, opening a brewery, um, I, I mean, I'd quite like to go through to the brewery in a minute. Um, but before we do, what, why did you decide to throw that into the mix? Because <laughs> we we wanted to work seven days a week instead of six. <laughs> <laughs> don't we? <all? laughs> no, we. we since we opened we've been doing a lot of collaborations with different breweries that was part of something we always wanted to do to sort of get our, our name out there something we've always been interested in and, and wanted to maybe dabble at mm. but I mean the venue when we first got it had the perfect space for, for a brew house and when we first opened it the intention was to almost give the space away to, uh, to another brewery Right. so we did have a couple of people come and see us um, and went through it all and we were going to sort of let them use that rent free just just we'd have the brewery on board yeah it's sort of a, a feature um in the end it wasn't wasn't what people wanted and we're stuck with this sort of space so we just made sure we spent as much time in breweries as we could um learning all the ins and outs that, yeah. that, that we possibly could brewing the beer um and then doing a bit of gypsy brewing as well just to sort of get our own brand out there and test the waters mm. um from there we've decided to install a brew house ourselves nice with the support of our customers yeah happy days well on that <laughs> note should we go through yeah, and, yeah. Uh, we'll carry on in there right soon we're going through to the brew house um i feel really excited oh wow who did your artwork uh mac kane good design nice why does his name sound familiar um he's done a lot of work in sheffield chesterfield and um, does a lot for um Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. Snooker. Henderson's relish. Right. Okay. So, do you want to just describe um, your brewery to us? Yeah, it's a five barrel uh, AB UK kit that we, uh, we bought second hand 
Um, I mean, it's two years old when we bought it. It's had 50 brews on it, so it's, it's fairly new, very clean, uh, shiny, which is what we needed being in the sort of space as you walk through the door. It's, yeah. it's almost a bit like a show kit. Um, two, um, two fermenters. We did have a Grundy as well, but it, there was no real space for it for right. to expand fermentation space. So, yeah, that, that's pretty much the ins and outs of it. It's, it's a manageable sort of capacity, so five barrels, which I know we can sell probably 60% through the bar, and then the others can go out for distribution. Great, so I mean obviously it's, it, you've obviously still got some work to do in terms of plumbing it all in and um, drainage, etc. Um, when you're sort of looking to, oh is that your drain? Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, so when are you looking to um, get it operational? Uh, well, every time I say a month, it gets pushed back, <laughs> as it all does. But we've just had the new uh, three-phase supply put in. That's getting finished next week. We've got some um, hygienic plastic carding going up on the walls just to just to get that in, and it'll be getting plumbed in as well, round about the same time. The so I'll be, I'll be hoping first pilot brews will be done within the next two months. Right. So um, how did you come to the decision to sort of crowdfund and um, what sort of considerations did you have to make um, while, whilst doing that to raise? It was 20,000 you needed, right? Or was it more than that? That's what we thought. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we were, what, three months into business being open? Yeah. Yeah, three months in and trying to get any sort of commercial loan that that soon into to opening the business was going to be difficult. Mm. And we had spoken to a number of customers that, that came into the bar anyway, who said that they'd be happy to help out in some, in some sort of way. So we thought, well, we'll take a punt on it and, sit and sort of see what happens and what support we can get. If not, we'll have to look at other options, maybe a bit further down the line. Um, so we put that up. And in total, we raised 18,500, yeah. nearly 19,000 pounds from the crowdfunding which funded the kit, essentially. Yeah. Um, considerations to take is just be realistic. You've got, you got to make sure that it can go two ways. You put a crowdfunding yeah. campaign up and it falls flat on its backside. Could probably dent a bit of confidence. Mm. Luckily, we had, we had quite, a, quite a lot of generous people that supported us throughout. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you being one of them. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I'm glad just, to see my ten pound went far, whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's um, it, it was good to see. It's it's really brought the community together, and they they've got big interest in it. Yeah, and it sort of spurred us on to to keep pushing on and get mm. it done as soon as possible. Did you feel the pressure then, as it was kind of like the clock was ticking down to the final moments of like, are we going to do it? <laughs> I think in the last two days we did. I think. Thirteen thousand yeah. pounds. So right, I think that's one thing as well to bear in mind. Don't get disheartened. You're getting in, influx of people at the beginning who are, want to jump in, and some people will leave it till the end. Mm. And we did get a lot in the last two days that just sort of spiked it up. Right. So yeah, there was a lot of pressure there. Okay. It, it was uh, it was getting getting close, and it was looking a little bit unrealistic. Yeah. And then it just just took off again. So. So when you, you when you're up and operational, what, what sort of beers have you got planned? We've got a few ideas at the minute, haven't we? Um, we? We don't want to say in case they don't come to fruition, but we've, we've got loads. Um, we, we want to start off with a core range, um, but we want, to, we want to master everything that we do, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to putting something out there and saying that's our IPA. Yeah. Um, we want to put it out, put it on the bar, taste it, let people try it, see what they think, get the feedback, um, take the feedback on board, potentially brew it again, um, and don't put out a core range until we're more than happy with each and every brew. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a case of pretty much assessing the market. Luckily, we've got the bar where we can we can brew smaller batches and get some feedback in, sending out samples to get a bit bit more um, feedback on on the beers. I don't want to go straight out there and start distributing before we've mm. sort of nailed on a recipe. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really wise. I think um, there's a lot of people that. 
think, um, oh, you know, I've got to have an IPA, and then they'll brew it up and they'll just sort of ship it out. And then, you know, because there's so much competition for IPAs, you know, it, it, it has to be a really good one <laughs> for yeah. people to really sort of take and stand up and take notice. But a good IPA isn't just, let's throw a load of hops at it and then dry hop it within an inch of its life and it'll be amazing. You know, the best IPAs are the ones that are really well balanced. Yeah. So you'll get that kind of malt sweetness coming through, um, you know, because of the ABV and, and you know, your, your body to it. But then you're going to get a nice rounded, really sort of... Um, dense hoppy character um, with that sort of bite, bitter bite, and at the end of the aroma rather than just kind of like you know you don't people don't know what they're doing and they're just putting it out there yeah. hoping that it will take off. Yeah, when. there is. I mean, we we know from a buying perspective that buying IPAs, it's there are so many out there, mm. so it's a it's a difficult one to really nail one down, especially with some of the pricing points that you get from some breweries and get a really good IPA for X amount you go to another brewery and it's another four or five pound a case and it's yeah. just not great it's, it's difficult to take a punt on yeah it's probably going to be difficult for us to actually try and stand out from the market as well like you said there's loads of different IPAs mm. loads of different stouts um, I, I personally like what Alphabet do at the minute with their core range nothing's what anybody else has got in their core range I mean a, a white stout yeah, in your core range, it's not. It's not really meal pails. Yeah, yeah, meal pail. Is it the high ploy pills? Yeah, pills? something a bit different. Mm. I mean, we, we can brew a core range and we can master that over time, and we can put that on our bar, which is which is fine. Just get out there, see what people think. But yeah, I think I'm gonna look at something that maybe stands out a little bit more. Yeah, and uh, yeah, a few collaborations. Yeah, so I was going to ask. Um, I mean what sort of um, beers are ticking your boxes at the minute and sort of inspiring you with the beers you want to brew obviously you just mentioned, I mentioned Alphabet but we're both, both polar opposites really when it comes to, to beers which works quite well okay I'm very much into my big double IPAs um, a good good strength IPA as well mm. um, really like my saisons I quite like a, a few sour beers every now and yeah. then um, I've had quite a lot recently, so I've, it's sort of tainted my taste buds a bit, but yeah, I do like a good sour as well. And I'm, I'm the other end of the scale, stouts, white stouts, big stouts. Yeah. Anything with chocolate in, oh. coffee in. <laughs> that's, that's, they're my kind of beers. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, what, what other sort of local breweries you guys and see that's no pressure from me from me oh, obviously Wales. no i mean what other sort of local breweries are sort of voting your vote at the minute well locally lost industry definitely one yeah of them. we do have a permanent sure. tap on of theirs but again they don't have a core range as such so i know with a permanent tap of theirs it's a new beer every single week and it's, they're doing some quite interesting things hmm. um locally as well i think abbeydale have put out some really good beers yeah uh, especially a, a recently, got a couple of kegs about to go on. Um, but I had their uh, barrel aged Brett Pale um, at the Draftsman not long ago, and that was really, really good. Mm. Um, See, they've really up their game. Yeah. I, you know, I think they've really, I'm a big fan of Abbeydale, and um, they're all really sound guys, but I feel like they've really upped their game with what they're doing. Um, not just from a beer point of view, from a business point of view as well, because they've, they've managed to retain the market um, with all the, you know, Moonshine, which is obviously a staple beer in, mm. in Sheffield and beyond, um, but whilst also sort of capturing the sort of younger craft beer drinkers with Heathen and, you know, the, um, what's it, it's Funk Dungeon, is what it's called, isn't it? Yeah, the, Funk Dungeon, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, cool. Yeah, um, are the local ones go down? No, I'm trying to think. I'm just trying to think. Well, what, what do we consider local? Yeah, we're in sort of that area where yeah, a lot I guess, of things yeah, yeah. local. Um, I'd say close by, um, Nottinghamshire, Black Iris. Some of their stuffs yep. unbelievable at the minute. Um, they've come a long way in a very short space of time as well. Yeah. Very good. Neon Raptor as well. I think another shout out. I know they've just built a new brewery and they've been off the radar for a couple of months, mm. but. They've started brewing again, and I'm really, really excited to see what they come out with. What What do you feel? Um, I mean, with, with with Black Iris, and you sort of say how they they've sort of kind of grown really quickly. Um, what 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 factors do you think um, contribute towards that? Because there are some breweries that are just kind of like 
wading through the mud year after year, never really kind of expanding. But then you see this sort of, um, you know, there are a select group of breweries that just seem to be exceeding expectation um, and, and sort of ploughing ahead, upscaling operations and the rest of it. What, what, what factors do you think separate the two and, and, and make one more outstanding and scalable than the other? I'd probably say branding. Yeah. And the beer. Yeah. <laughs> I think branding first and foremost. Black Iris, I had a conversation with back in June before they canned anything, before they really bottled anything, everything was keg and cask. And it was only when I was delivering some beers down to Nottingham and I, I saw a can of theirs in the fridge and I thought, oh, looks good. So I picked up the can, came back here, tried it, and then before I knew it, I'd all their range in, had a few kegs on, but the beer stands up to the branding as mm. well. It's, I, th- I think that in an industry that's as full as it is, I think good branding is yeah. really, really key. They're, they're, I've, I've had a lot of good beers that have had quite poor branding, mm. and I've even taken them on here, and they just don't sell. Yeah. Really difficult to sell. Mm. Any, anyone that owns a bottle shop will probably tell you, people that don't know the craft scene, the breweries, they will literally shop with their eyes. Yeah. So they'll go for what stands out, what they like the look of, um, over what's actually in the can or bottle. Mm. For sure. Cool, so we're back in the, the warmth now. Um, in all fairness, you did tell me to put my coat on and I ignored you, um, <laughs> so I, I kind of regret that. Um, so, I mean, in addition to running a bar and a brewery, you've also exported beers, um, which is where I first met you guys, um, if I remember rightly. Um, what considerations do you, you as the exporter and, um, and a, a brewer who's potentially looking to export um, need to make when they're thinking about exporting their beers to other markets in other countries? All the, there's a massive uh, amount of information you need to know first and foremost so you need to be really up on even stuff like legalities of labelling knowing the actual market and how the market is growing in all these different countries so target somewhere try and work with either an exporter in this country or an importer a really good agent in that country mm-hmm. um, you've got to understand the systems so you're going to Scandinavia you're working with the system Bogalat and their, their monopolies you need to do a lot of research into how it works in that country make sure that you ticked all the boxes because the last thing you want to do is send over a pallet of beer and it'd be sat in a sat in a warehouse yeah. or, or end up being destroyed so yeah just do your d- due diligence and make sure that you understand the legalities of it for the each individual country you're working with so as a brewer at what point do you get paid then it depends it, again it really really depends what a lot of breweries i've seen are doing now are working directly with either other breweries or other importers and maybe doing beer swaps um but there's again another another level to it. it depends when you get paid so if you're working um x works so the the importer is responsible for everything from pretty much picking it up then mm. you can get paid fairly quickly other countries have longer lead times it's it's quite a a gray area i can't give you a, a specific yeah. time scale it's it's it varies wildly and that's something that you could probably negotiate with with the person that you're working with at the other side hmm. how do you think brexit then is going to affect um both sort of beers going out from the uk to europe and the rest of the world and um and likewise coming in because so obviously scandinavian breweries now are starting to kind of make inroads into the uk and you're starting hmm. to see these breweries putting out some really great beers over here but obviously when, when that occurs there's going to be all kinds of um, du- you know duties to pay and all the rest of it how do you guys see that sort of panning out looking into your crystal ball <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be a number of different things you'd like to think that by the time we get to the final brexit the curtains pulled and that's the big it. red button is pushed yeah you'd like to think that the, the the government that we have in place at the moment well, this is probably wishful thinking that, that we've got something in place which, which does protect stuff like that it's such a big part of our culture imports especially I mean we import yeah. a lot of goods so I'd like to like to think that, w- that we can negotiate some sort of decent trade deals with certain areas but again it, it could make exporting more difficult especially to Europe where at the moment it's fairly straightforward yeah 
Um, but yeah, I think I think we'll see see a change. But I'd like to think that it shouldn't be hugely drastic. Yeah. One of the questions I ask um, everyone I interview is, um, where do you see the beer industry going over the next few years? Any beer or craft beer? <laughs> well, but both, because you know, it's, it it kind of feels like there's almost like a separation of the two sort of streams. Um, you, you've got what you would deem real ale. Well, you, you know, there's three. I'd say there's three. You've got macros, which are just kind of are, are well established, will always be there, ticking the boxes for, uh, to be honest, the vast majority of people. Mm. Then you've got what I would deem as real ale, which is na- now seen as more traditional, and then obviously you've got what people are calling craft beer, although a lot of people are hating that term. I think one of the main things, you see it a lot in the US at the moment, um, a lot of lot of like acquisitions by macros, AB InBev, etc. Over here, you look at like the, the top people at their game at the moment and I, you, you sort of live in hope that they've still got something to offer and they're maybe not quite at the point where they're ready to sell to. Yeah, a macro. It will happen inevitably. It depends who it happens to, but yeah. it's. You'd like to think that we've got a little bit more time before that starts happening. Yeah. I mean, how did you feel when Camden Town announced they were sort of selling to AB InBev? So it sort of does a. I think it, for the industry as a whole, it does a disservice to what you help try and build. You create the craft beer. You spend X amount of time competing with these macros and trying to build an industry that's a bit, bit more interesting. It's just got to the point where I understand you get to a certain point and you need the extra funds to help grow. And as much as you want to, as much as you want to keep that same ethos, there's always going to be influence from, from the macro mm. on that side. So at the end of the day, if AB and Bev came in and walked, waved a blank check at any big brewery, I think most people, if they're being completely honest with themselves, <laughs> I, and, and I think if you had a private conversation with most of them, um, I think they'd probably Which snatch their hands off. <laughs> so you found out Mr. Bush sort of walked in here today and sort of got his checkbook out. What uh, do you do? <laughs> well, yeah, we've already had this conversation and yeah, it'll be a straight up, yeah, see you we, later. We'd have to make sure we've got a pen because we've never got a pen line on <laughs> <laughs> to put anything on that check. <laughs> oh, hilarious. Uh, what, what about the sort of um, more sort of um, traditional real ale type? Do, do, do you think there'll always be a sort of market for that, or do you think that's going to kind of um, die down as as the more there's a greater rise of newer and aspiring breweries? We tried to keep. Well, I don't want to say they because it's like generalising, put, putting people in certain groups. But certain people have certain mindsets that. Um, they are real ale. Mm. They don't want anything to do with the, the label of craft. They don't like what craft's doing. Um, but then there's other people within those communities that are quite accepting. They're quite accepting a change. Um, I know there's a lot. There's a big thing now about key kegs um, and how it's sort of a version of cast. Yes. Um, so it, it's moving in the right direction, and I'd like to see more people working together within the different communities. Um, to try and bring the, the brands together, not just people. Yeah, I think as well, a lot of people have this aversion to keg beer and craft beer, not realizing that there are a hell of a lot of craft breweries that put beer into casks. Yeah. And there and there, there's, there's some very, very good cask beers out there, don't, don't get me wrong. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it's it, the whole keg versus cask argument sort of is becoming a bit tiresome now. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think traditional has always got got a place. You do have a certain type of customer that that is what they want, but it's too many. We markets. have people walk in, don't see that we've got any hand pulls, and walk out mm. after saying, "Oh, there's no hand pulls." Yeah. So yeah, there's still the market for it. Yeah. Um, but the the industry that we're in at the minute has got a, a massive longevity. Yeah. Still, and um, people see it as a fad. Um, we get a lot of people in saying, what's this crap? Um, what are all these colourful cans? We've never seen anything like it before. And realistically, it's been out 15, 20, 30 years. Yeah, it's insane, isn't it? Yeah. But it is coming more to the forefront now. Um, and I think there's still a long way before a lot of these. Yeah, they're working their way into supermarkets, 
um, they're working their way into bars, but it, there's still a long way before you start seeing them on mainstream lines, yeah, and um, taking over the bigger brands, absolutely, which I would prefer to see. So, what's um, the biggest mistake you guys have made in business? You feel Ooh. laying concrete as cells. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like your floor. <laughs> no, the, the floor's okay. awesome. Um, but yeah, it was a horrendous job. Um, on a serious note, yeah. I think when we first started, we came in with quite a bullish, cocky attitude. Mm. Um, we had a couple of disagreements with people, social media. <laughs> I think when yeah. we first started, just to bring up uh, the elephant in the room for anybody that might be listening in regards to, to what happened when we first opened, we went in with sort of an attitude that we didn't, it wasn't, it, we weren't trying to be something completely that we're not. We weren't trying to be, um, we weren't trying to be arrogant and rude and anything like that. It just... We, we were trying to get his name out in a, in a positive light and there were negative responses to it. Yeah. Um, and I know Dan's doing a lot of the speaking, but I think a lot of the uh, stuff that happened, happened because of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I tend to speak before I think. Um, but us trying to establish ourselves within this industry where you have, like we've already mentioned, that there's a lot of competition. Um, and early on, we were sticking up for our business at every opportunity. People putting us down, negative comments coming forward. We would have a tendency to react and sitting back and looking at other brands and how they deal with it, it they basically shrug it off, laugh at it. Um, which I was reluctant to do to start with. Yeah, so biggest tip for anybody starting up, don't take any criticism too personally. Yeah. Try and find uh, something constructive from it. Since that incident, I've spoken to a number of people in regards to it when, when I've come across them who've seen it and I've tried to get their take on things. Mm. And it's, it's now helping us develop what we want the brand to be in 2018. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, take, take those negatives, find out find out what someone else's perspective on it that wasn't involved and learn from that mistake. But just don't, don't get too reactive to people. You're gonna get a lot of, you're gonna get a lot of, uh, a lot of criticism. Everyone's entitled to an opinion. Yeah. But that, I mean, this is the thing with social media because it's, you know, it, anyone from behind a, a laptop or their phone or tablet, whatever, can see something, not know anything to do with anything, any, you know, the situation or whatever, or, and, and draw an opinion on something or somebody, you know, and, and, and then put it out there. And actually, you know, it's, um, because there have been times where people have said stuff about the things I've been doing in, in a negative light, and I've been, um, my instant reaction is to be like, oh, I need to tell them where to go, whatever. But then I thought, well, actually, you know, um, I need not to, maybe not to comment, but just let, let the haters hate. Yeah, that, that's just it. Um, trying to build a brand, build a business, you, you only want to hear the positives. Mm. You, you're almost reluctant to hear the negatives, but inevitably you're going to get them. Yeah. And what you need to do is not react. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you learn from your mistakes and stuff but what, what, what last sort of question what one piece of advice would you like to impart to the people listening in whatever venture beer business they're looking to build um, from me there's a lot of people deciding to open bars microbreweries and micropubs um, thinking that it's an industry that's going to make you a fortune in a short yeah. period of time but my, my main advice would be think about it you need to put in the time and the effort um, to, to, to see what it is you're actually wanting to see yeah um, it won't just come to you you've got to go out and get it mm. irrelevant of how much um, interest you think there is out there from customers you've got to go out and get them it's funny there is a bit of a have you ever seen Field of Dreams you know, film yeah. from what was it, the late 80s or early 90s, something with um, is it Kevin Costner. It's kind of like if you build it, they will come. Yeah. And there is, there is that kind of attitude, isn't there? If I open a craft, I mean, I had it. <laughs> if I open a, a brewery, oh, they're all going to love it, they're all going to come. And then it's like, why is no one buying my beer? <laughs> yeah. We work six days a week here and then go home and carry on working on it. Yeah. 
that, that's why we built up so many relationships with, with breweries, etc. Yeah. across the country. And that's why we managed to do what we want to do by just going out there and just shouting about shouting about it and, mm. but making the right noises don't just go out and you can't be able to back up what you're doing yeah i think one piece of advice from me as well is don't don't be afraid to deviate a little bit from your vision of what you want things to be the main example for us being is we started one gin we've now got 35 40 right. gins wow. in so know your market as well yeah. uh, because as much as we have that we have opened for one reason you still need to get that money going through the till, so just mm. just don't be too stubborn when it comes to things. But still, stick to your stick to your guns in, in what you want to do overall. But there are going to be things that that you might have to compromise on a little bit. Well, so if anyone's interested in finding out more about Heist and the, obviously the beers you're making and the bar itself, or want to visit you, where can they find that information? New website is just about to go live at the end of this weekend, so that's heistcraft.com. Um, if not be the Facebook, so Heistcraft, Twitter, and, and Instagram as well. Same handle, Heistcraft. And don't just read about us. Come and visit. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time, um, Adam and Dan from Heistcraft. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Thanks for checking us out. Uh, make sure you check out Heistcraft as well. It's definitely, like I say, worth paying a visit. And it's not the most straightforward place to get to if you're going by bus or train you might need a sherpa and a couple of donkeys and you might need to navigate by the stars to get there but when you get there it'll be well worth the visit so thanks for tuning in make sure you check out the website hotforward.beer there's more content and articles on there about the beer industry there's services we can offer as well um in particular with design and branding services and um sort of business coaching and that kind of thing just anything i'm here to help you grow your craft beer business whatever that is so feel free to contact me via the website or via the social media channels which are hot forward beers and until next time thanks for tuning in and i'll see you then